Life is saturated with questions. Some questions are significant. Other questions are silly. Some questions we ask others or ourselves. Other questions we just ask Google or Siri. Sometimes we ask questions like, Who am I? Why am I here? What's the purpose of my life? Other times we ask questions like, How do I get from here to Kalamazoo? Or, where is the closest Starbucks? Or, what am I going to do after graduation? This morning, I want to ask you a question. Are you going to the banquet? And before you answer that, I invite you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 14. And let's just talk about Jesus just for a few minutes. The passage before us this morning is Luke 14, verses 15 to 24. Once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence the public reading of God's holy word. Luke chapter 14, I'll pick up in mid-conversation, we'll begin in verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. He said to the first, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another man said, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out, so please excuse me. And still a third man said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. The owner of the house became angry. He ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I'm convinced that Luke would have made a great Baptist. The reason I say that is because Luke seems to be infatuated with food. The aroma of a good meal permeates nearly every other page of the gospel. We find Jesus reclining at the table in the home of Simon the Pharisee. We find Jesus and the disciples waiting for a delicious meal at their favorite house in Bethany as we see Martha scurrying around the kitchen preparing a seven-course meal. One of the most famous stories Jesus ever told is a father who is so loving that when he finds his prodigal son, he orders for the fattened calf to be killed. That would have been enough food to feed the entire village. Before the crucifixion of Jesus, it's Luke who lays out for us a rather detailed description of the Passover meal. Following the resurrection of Christ, it is Luke who tells us that Jesus is on the road to Emmaus. He bumps into two disciples. 
They are kept from recognizing the resurrected Christ until they get to their house, sit at their kitchen table, and he breaks bread in front of them. And then they recognize him as the Christ, and he vanishes from their very sight. Yes, I believe that Luke would have made a dandy Baptist. He's infatuated with food. I bring that to your attention because the story I just read for you is set around the dinner table. We did enter the story mid-conversation. The dialogue originates in Luke chapter 14, verse 1. It's there that we read that one Sabbath, Jesus was invited to be the guest of a prominent Pharisee. Apparently, Jesus was the itinerant preacher that day. He had gone to the local synagogue. He had preached a great message. And in that custom, it was their tradition to invite the preacher to a particular house for dinner. Jesus was invited to the home of an anonymous Pharisee. Maybe he went under the guise of just hospitality. Maybe Jesus was told this would be an extended session of some questions and answers. Regardless, when Jesus got there, he quickly understood this was not a meal among friends. We are told that when Jesus arrived, he was being carefully watched. That word that's translated carefully watched means that Jesus was being watched meticulously. This is a setup for a mess up. This is a sting against the king. They are waiting for Jesus to do something. They can nail him to the proverbial wall. It's Luke who tells us that in comes another dinner guest. Now normally, this particular dinner guest would not be invited to the party. But on this day, he's planted and plopped right in front of Jesus. This man suffers from dropsy. A dropsy is a dreaded painful disease of the first century. It probably originated in his kidneys or his liver, maybe his heart. It resulted in a great deal of fluid retention in the limbs. So this man's arms and legs were stuffy, were swollen, oversized, maybe three or four times their normal size. This is a painful disease. For him to even move was painful. For him to be touched was excruciating. This man was there not because he was a valued guest to the anonymous Pharisee. He was there as a pawn to the sinister plot. And Jesus sees right through it. He knows that they are testing him. Will the rabbi from Galilee actually heal on the Sabbath? Because on the Sabbath, there's not to be any work. And Jesus looked at the Pharisee and all of his cronies that had gathered there, and he said, is it lawful? to heal on the Sabbath. There was stunned silence. And Jesus reached out and touched the man. And he was immediately healed. A visible transformation took place. And the man got up pain-free and he walked out of sight. And Jesus looked at all of the rabbis that had gathered around the table that day and he said, even you make exceptions to your own rules. You say there's no work that can be done on the Sabbath. Yet, if your son falls into a well, won't you reach in and immediately pick him up? You're not going to say, buddy, I'm sorry you fell on the wrong day. I've got to wait till tomorrow to come back and get you. No, if your son, your pride and joy, if he falls into a well, you will immediately move heaven and earth to reach in and get him. 
You've even made an exception, Jesus said, to your ox. For if your ox falls into a ditch on the Sabbath, what are you going to do? You're not going to leave him there. You're going to immediately reach in, pick him up, place him back on the road. If you've made these exceptions for your son and for a beast of burden, then surely that man is precious in the sight of God and worthy to be healed even, especially, on the Sabbath. Once again, you could have heard a pin drop. Nobody was saying anything. Luckily, the kitchen crew came in, and they said, dinner is served. Jesus watched how everybody made a mad dash into the dining room. They took positions of significance. In the first century, you could always tell the important people because they were the ones who sat up front. Whenever there was a banquet, whenever there was a special festivity, uh, you could always tell the value, the worth, the significance of an individual based upon where that individual sat in the room. Some of that's still true today. I mean, think about um, the last wedding banquet you went to. Think about the last formal ceremony you attended. Where did the honored guest sit? Where did the platform personalities sit? Most, if not all the time, they sit up front. Jesus noticed how the Pharisees made a mad dash to the seats of significance, those places of prominence. They wanted to strut their stuff in front of Jesus. They wanted to show him how important they were. And Jesus said, listen, when you go to a banquet, choose a seat of no honor. And then the host will come up and say, friend, why are you seated there? You're more important than that. Come up here. I have a place at the front. He said, but don't start out at the front. How humiliated you will be if you take the wrong seat and the host comes up to you and says, friend, why are you seated here? I love you, but not that much. Your seat is the cheap seats in the back. You've just taken the spot of somebody else. And Jesus said how humiliated you would be. And then he gives this proverb. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. You don't have to exalt yourself. Let Christ exalt you. You just start in a place of humility and let Jesus, who's the host, let him say, you are valuable in my sight. Come, I want you to sit right beside me. And then turning to the Pharisee who threw the party, Jesus said to him, whenever you have a banquet, don't invite all of your friends and neighbors and cronies. Don't invite those people who can repay you by inviting you back to their banquet. When you throw a party, invite the lame, the poor, the blind, the crippled. Invite people who have no chance of paying you back. In fact, why don't you invite people just like that guy who had dropsy? You brought him here to try to trap me. He should have been an honored guest. Once again, awkward. There was silence. Nobody said a thing. You've been in those conversations, haven't you? You know, you're kind of embarrassed, kind of humiliated. You don't know what else to say. You know that the teacher just got you. And you don't know what to do. And there's that awkwardness. There's that tension. And somebody has to break the tension, right? And somebody has to say something. That's where we jump in on the passage. Somebody around the table spoke up to break the ice. Somebody spoke up to break the tension. Somebody spoke up and said, well, 
Blessed is the man who's going to eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Can I get an amen, Jesus? Because Jesus, we all know that one day we'll be in that great banquet table in the sky. And one day we're going to go to the celestial ceremony and we'll be there. And of course, we will be there. We'll be there because all Jews are going to heaven. We'll be there because we are rabbis. We are religious people. And of course, we'll be seated at the very top. Jesus, am I right or am I right? Give me half a pound at Jesus. And Jesus just looked at the man. He said, let me tell you a story. There was a rich man. The rich man wanted to throw a banquet. He issued a large number of invitations. Initially, many people accepted. For you to receive an invitation to attend a banquet of a rich man in first century Palestine was a tremendous honor. You did not refuse an invitation like that. You needed to accept the hospitality that was extended to you. It was considered rude, a slap in the face, if you didn't accept the invitation. According to the story that Jesus tells, once the day of the banquet arrived, all the preparations had been made. The master sent a servant to hand deliver a second round of invitations. Now, if you got one invitation, that was spectacular. If you got two invitations, a hand-delivered personal invitation from the servant of the master, if you got a second invitation, that was a tremendous privilege. You would never reject both invitations. You really would not reject either invitation. But if the master thought enough of you to send his best servant to give you a hand-delivered invitation saying, the banquet is ready, you would not refuse that hospitality. The invitation's been given, you would accept it. In fact, there are some Arab countries where if you rejected a personalized invitation, that was a declaration of war. As Jesus tells the story, the Pharisees know the culture. They assume that everybody is going to accept. But Jesus says that all of them refused. Now Jesus is really quite humorous in this story. We don't necessarily think of him as being funny, but Jesus is being flat out hilarious in this story. The way he's being hilarious is the fact that he is giving some flimsy excuses of why anybody would reject an invitation. I mean, what he says, nobody in their right mind would do. Jesus says the servant went up to the first man. Everything's ready. The banquet's now. Please come. The first man said, I've bought a field. I need to go see it. Friend, that is a pathetic excuse. What man in his right mind would buy a field that he had not yet seen? This man says, I've already bought the field. I've got the deed in hand. The sale has been done. And now I've got to go spec it out. Now I've got to go inspect it. Nobody would do that. You don't buy anything of significance without first seeing it, right? 
And certainly in this culture, this man would not have bought a field and then say, oh, now i got to go see what I just bought. Furthermore, that land's not going anywhere. It would still be there tomorrow. Had the man said, yes, I've put the date on my calendar. Here it is. I'm going to the banquet because tomorrow I can take care of inspecting the land. No, this man says, business before pleasure. Certainly your master will understand. Yes, I received the first invitation. Yes, I had every good intention to go. But now I've got something better to do. I bought a field. I need to go inspect it. The servant goes to the second man. He says the very same thing. The banquet's ready. It's time for you to come. The master is waiting for you. The second man says, I can't go today. I just bought five yoke of oxen. I got to go try them out. Now, friends, that's as stupid as the first excuse. Because once again, um, what Jesus describes for us is a wealthy farmer. Most farmers in Israel only had one yoke of oxen. Most average farms were about 50 acres. One yoke of oxen could take care of the workload of 50 acres. For this man to say that he's now bought five yoke of oxen is to say that he has a rather large farm, probably the size of 250 acres. A man of this kind of means probably has people who work for him that could go do the job that he's now using as an excuse of why he can't go to the banquet of the master. And also, if this farmer bought five yoke of oxen, he would not have made such a large investment without first checking them out, without first testing them, because there could be some duds in there. You don't want to get five yoke of oxen, only three of them be good. Somebody may be trying to pull the wool over your eyes. You don't want to be duped, so you are going to go test them out before you buy. Once again, isn't that what we do? Most of us do not buy a car without first driving it. I realize that some of you may have bought a car online and you didn't test drive it first, but by and large, most of us, before we sign, we drive. We got to make sure it's not a lemon. We got to make sure somebody's not trying to pull one over on us. We got to make sure that it's good. And so most of us will not sign unless we have driven. And in the same way, in this story, no farmer would have bought five yoke of oxen without first testing them out. On top of all that, don't you think that five yoke of oxen could have taken a night off? I mean, the farmer could have waited till the next morning. Once the daylight rose over the eastern sky, he could have gone and taken the oxen out there and worked them all day long. There's no need for him to go out and do this in this moment except for the fact that from his perspective, something better came along. Yeah, he received the first invitation. Yeah, he knew the master wanted him to come. But now's not a good day. I just bought five yoke of oxen. I need to go test them out. Now at this point, the servant's 0 for 2. Which is a surprise to all the rabbis that are listening to the story of Jesus. They're intrigued because this is not the way they thought the story was going to go. Jesus then says, the servant goes up to a third man, and automatically you think to yourself, uh-oh, he may refuse the invitation too. This third man is the most defiant man. 
the uh, servant goes up to him and says, hey, my master wants you to come. The banquet's ready. Please come. He says, I can't come. I just got married. There's almost a defiance in his voice. Surely the master knows this. I I just got married. I need to be here with my wife. At first, that sounds very noble, doesn't it? I mean, ladies, all y'all thinking, oh, my man just said no. He's going to wait for me. Isn't that nice? That seems very noble, doesn't it? But the truth of the matter is, the master would have welcomed both the husband and his new wife. In fact, whenever an invitation was given, it was given to the entire household. Anybody and everybody could come. In fact, from the master's perspective, the more the merrier. Remember, Jesus is being funny. Jesus is being humorous. And around this table, he's talking to a bunch of guys. It's at this moment that the Pharisees would have began to chuckle. They would have began to crack some jokes. You know those jokes that say, Ha! Man, if this guy can't make a decision for himself when he's newly married, check him out 50 years from now. After 50 years of marriage, he won't be able to make any decisions for himself. Right? They begin to joke. I mean, you've met guys like that. They've been married a very long time. And you go up to them, you say, hey, how you doing? And what do they do? Honey, how am I doing? I'm doing okay. She says I'm doing okay. Buddy, what's your favorite color? Honey, what's my favorite color? It, okay. She says it's blue. All right, you know, and you've met people like that. And so the Pharisees begin to laugh and talk, oh, because this guy, he can't even make a decision for himself or his own household. But what Jesus is doing is he's showing how flimsy every excuse that could be offered for you refusing the invitation of the master. This is why when the servant gets back and reports to the master what goes on, the master gets angry. That's a hot verb. I mean, he is fit to be tied. The master is irate. He is angry. He is fuming. Why? Because all of his generosity had been blown up in his face and these guys had acted as if they came and smacked him in the face. The master says to his servant, you go and you bring in all the social outcasts. Bring in the underbelly of society. The lame, the crippled, the poor, the blind. The servant said, I've done that. They're already here, master. And there's still room. The master says, I'm not going to cancel this banquet. I'm not going to postpone it because of a poor turnout. Servant, you go to every highway, every byway, every country lane, every holler, every village, every hedge, every in-town, every out-of-town, and you tell people and urge them to come to my party. They'll respond by thinking they're not worthy, but I want you to communicate to them, I want them at my party. My house will be full. And that's the story. And when it was over, Jesus sat down, and you, once again, could have heard a pin drop. There are three takeaways from this story. Let me share them with you quickly. First, the path of disobedience is paved with good intentions. The path of disobedience is paved with good intentions. All three of these men in the story of Jesus had good intentions. Apparently, they had received the first invitation. 
When it came time for the second personalized invitation to be delivered by the servant of the master, they refused. Why? Because something better had come along. They had good intentions. If you were to ask them before the servant had arrived, are you going to go to the banquet whenever it occurs? They would have said, yes, I'm in. I'm there. I've got it on my calendar. But once the servant of the master showed up and said, now is the time of the banquet, they said something better has come along. And Jesus, in rather humorous ways, communicates that their excuses were flimsy excuses. In fact, you can't come up with a good excuse of disobedience to God. You can't come up with a good reason of why you should not be obsessed with obedience to Christ. So this morning, let me ask you, what excuse have you been given to God? What excuse have you been given to the Lord? You've received the invitation, haven't you? Jesus himself, the servant of the master, has come and issued the invitation for you to come and to follow him. Issued the invitation for you to share the gospel. The invitation for you to give generously unto the Lord. You've received the invitation to go on mission, to forgive people completely, to worship God wholeheartedly. Those are the invitations that have been extended to you. What excuses have you been offering to God so far, so far as why you don't really want to do those things? Maybe you're like the person who says, Lord, you know I really, really want to follow you. I really do. I'm a good person. I want to follow you with all of my strength, but I'm just too busy. I got so many things going on, so many responsibilities, so many deadlines. I just can't really follow you right now. But Lord, you know when life lets up, when things don't get as hectic, you know I'll follow you. And Lord, you know I want to share the gospel. I'm a gospel person. I really am. I'm a good person and I'm a gospel person. I love the gospel and I want to share the gospel, but I'm afraid of rejection. I really, I'm just afraid of rejection. And Jesus, I don't quite know what to say about you. Now, I know what to say about everybody else, but I just don't know what to say about you, Jesus. And so I, I don't quite know how to share the gospel because I'm, I'm a little bit afraid of doing that and being rejected. And Jesus, you know, I'm a generous person. I really want to give all that I can. But Jesus, I don't have anything left over. I use all my money on myself. <laughs> and I use all my money on my children. I give them everything that they want. Now, Jesus, if you help me find a $100 bill today on the ground, you know that I'll give you $20. So, Jesus, if you just help me find a $100 bill, I promise I'll give you some of that. And Jesus, you know I'm a missions person. Woo, I love missions. I love Annie and I love Lottie. I love missions. I am missions through and through. But I just don't have time to go on any mission trips. I really don't. You know, I'm just so busy. I work so much. But Jesus, thank you that I have time to go on the golfing trip and the hunting trip and the fishing trip and the shopping trip and the vacation trip to the beach and the trip to the mountains. But Lord, if you give me any extra time, I'll go on mission for you. And Lord, you know I want to forgive. You've forgiven me and I just want to forgive everybody. 
But you know there's that one idiot I just can't forgive. <laughs> Jesus, I know you're omniscient. That means you know everything. So Jesus, do, do you remember what she said to me on September the 8th, 1987? Because I remember it vividly well. I remember she was wearing that god-awful blue dress from the 1970s. She thought she looked cute, but you and I both know she's ugly as dirt. And Jesus, you know she said that to me right downstairs, right outside the choir room, right before I was supposed to go into worship. And I just can't forgive her. Because Jesus, you've given me the spiritual gift of harboring resentment. And I praise your holy name because your spirit gives a bunch of gifts and that's the gift you don't give me. And Jesus, you know, I would love to worship you. I worship you in spirit and in truth. I worship you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Woo, I love to worship, but I hate that music. I really do. I just hate it. And I know you do too. And Lord, <laughs> when they start playing my songs again, I'm going to love it, I'm gonna lo and I'm going to worship you with all my might. Church, what excuse have you been given the Lord as to why you're not doing what He's called you to do? Certainly, you've heard the invitation, haven't you? To come and follow Him. You've heard the invitation to share the Gospel. You've heard the invitation to give generously. To go on mission for Him to forgive people completely and to worship Him with everything you got. What keeps you from doing that sometimes? Whatever excuse you give is a flimsy excuse. The path of disobedience is paved with good intentions. Second takeaway, the banquet of God is now. The banquet of God is now. The servant went and said, now is the time for the banquet. What Jesus wanted those around the table to understand, now is the time for the banquet. The banquet is not only an eschatological event that will happen at the end of time. This man spoke up and said, blessed is he who will feast at the kingdom of God. Yes, blessed is that person. But the banquet is not just a futuristic event. The banquet was standing right in front of them in the person of Jesus the Christ. Jesus is the banquet. We feast on him by faith. And today is the day for us to confess him as Christ. Today is the day for us to confess our sins. Today is the day for us to believe and be taken from death unto life. Graduate, today is the day that you'd be committed unto the Lord. It's not something that you do next week, next month, next year, when you get older. Today is the day for your commitment. Adults, today is the day for you to do what God has called you to do, for we are to be obsessed about obedience. Don't wait until next time, whenever next time may be. Whatever God is calling you to do, do it today because the banquet himself, Jesus the Christ, is here. He's extending his invitation to you. Third takeaway. This story tells us not only to go and tell but to go compel. Certainly, as you hear this story, 
The most traditional way to interpret it is that God is the master. Jesus is the servant. God sent his invitation to humanity. Jesus personalized it. Jesus came and extended it to Jew and Gentile. Uh, he went in town and out of town. He got the socially acceptable. He got the social outcast. And by the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus goes in every direction to seek and to save those who are lost. And Jesus personally delivers the invitation to you. It's not too much of a stretch to also see this parable with a missional thrust. Jesus says his house will be full. It is not going to be empty. It, the banquet's not going to be postponed. It's also appropriate for us to see that Jesus is the master and we are the servant. And what does Jesus call us to do? He tells us to go to the highways and the byways, to go to the hollers, to go to the country lanes, to go every place and compel people to come in. What does the word compel mean? It means to urge them. It means to communicate that even though you think you may be embarrassed, even though you may think that God doesn't want you at his, at his table, even though you think that your sins are too big for Jesus to forgive and too gross for Jesus to wipe away, Jesus wants us to communicate to other people. Jesus wants you at his party. Jesus wants you. At his party. And how do you accept the invitation? You accept it by faith. You believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He was placed in your tomb on the third day. He was raised again. And you respond with repentance of sin. And you, you uh, trust him. And you turn from your wicked ways. And you live a life of transformation. You accept the invitation. So this morning, all I am is just a servant. With an invitation in hand. From my master, Jesus the Christ. And Jesus told me to come and tell you and extend the invitation to you and ask the one simple question, are you going to the banquet? Are you going to the banquet? Now is the time for the banquet. Are you going? Have you accepted him by faith? Have you turned from sin? Are you living a life of transformation? Are you going to the banquet? This morning I asked the graduates, to the adults, to anyone in the crowd, are you going to the banquet of Christ? Heavenly Father, we bow before You. This is Your invitation. You've extended it to Your people. Lord, there may be somebody here who has never accepted the invitation. Some people who have never placed the party on their date, on their calendar. And Father, today, You are telling anyone who will listen that you, Lord Jesus, want them to be at your party. And the only way that's made possible is by faith in the accomplished work of Christ, accepting that invitation by faith. So Lord, I pray that today we will not offer you any flimsy excuses. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.